0: I had a tree stump halfway up they had this tree stump there that that was but if I had taken the tree stump out it would have taken half the neighbor's backyard out as well so I had to cut it on the boundary line and with a chainsaw and I was up there for three days cutting cutting the, the tree stump uh, with a chainsaw lucky workplace health and safety weren't there because that would have been a, would not have been a good site.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Charan Shum, and in this episode, we're back with Phil Fidel, the Director of PV Properties. From struggling beginnings and modest profits on impulse property decisions, he's now a Triumph developer with six completed projects with two profiting and astonishing $1 million each. Join us as we explore his incredible journey in property development. After a thrilling career in the corporate world, Vidal started to lose the joy he once had for this career path, prompting him to embark on a quest for greater fulfillment. This journey led him to the exciting realm of property development.
0: For me, it was like I, I'd become the global manager. I, I just started losing I started losing the joy in, in the corporate world. I, I was losing the, the joy of the job. Um, and I was craving I was spent quite a long time looking for a business to buy uh, to buy something and, and maybe an engineering company and, and take that and grow that further. I had a look at some uh, some of them and went through the process of, of doing due diligence on them um, only to not 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 follow through with it because it just wasn't really what i was looking for and uh, and i picked up on property development i thought this is something that i really enjoy doing uh, I, I enjoy the building and construction side of things so i really wanted to stay there and it was something that i'd always had an inkling to get into so in the early 2000s or mid 2000s I started studying and reading up and, and, and then 2010, I bought my first development site um, and I land banked that for four years and that, and that was my first development. 2014 to 15, I turned that from a, um, a single house into three townhouses.
1: Inspired by his carpentry background, Fidel decided to delve into the realm of townhouse developments, marking the beginning of his property development journey. It was because I like,
0: I mean, I've built townhouses before as a carpenter and joiner. I've, I've, I knew them. I understood townhouse. I understood the building side of things. So that's what led me down that path to begin with. Um, I got involved with a with a guy called Michael Yardney, um, and he he does a lot of um, uh, and armchair development. So you can basically become an armchair developer. I didn't want to be an armchair developer. I wanted to be the developer. So I got I spent time with Michael and did his courses, and followed him, and followed, and spent had meetings with them, and they helped me buy this first lot. Um, And then I spent the rest, spent the the four years while I was land banking, just working out how I'm going to put townhouses on there. And and uh, at the time, Michael, it was 2012. They pulled out of Queensland, weren't doing a lot in Queensland because of the downturn. Um, but I kept it going. I kept thought oh, I want I want this to happen. So I kept pursuing pursuing it. Um, and, and then just slowly but surely pulled it all together. Um, found the right, found a town planner that that was really helpful. Um, he was incredibly good um, and a good architect uh, to, to, for the product. Uh, and then just made lots of mistakes while I was doing it. Lots and lots of mistakes. But they ended up bringing it, bringing the, pulling the project off. And we made, you know, on that first one, uh, we owned one of the
1: townhouses almost outright. Excellent. That's really good. And where, where was this again, this property? This was in Camp Hill. Camp Hill. Oh, so it's in, in Brisbane. Excellent. In Brisbane, yeah. But Al discusses the DEA approval process. He navigated for that project and highlights the crucial contributions of a skillful architect and town planner in facilitating the process.
0: That was 2013 to 2014. We went through the DA DA approval process. Got the architect involved and and the uh, town the planner. They were the two key key people for me, um, and then they helped me through a lot of the process. They were they were fantastic. Uh, I was winging it again. Every just because I don't know it doesn't mean I don't go ahead with it. I I wing it and I find the solutions, I find the answers
1: that I need. Yeah, it's just really interesting because I was just thinking like when you land bank it even though it's only four, it's four years which is still a relatively lo- reasonable short time but um, we, we kind of know as developers it's still going to take it between 12 to 18 months depending on which council to actually just get approvals and etc. So, there's a lot of time that you just got to have to wait unfortunately, there's nothing more you can do um, until then but I'm assuming that house still had rental income. Yeah, they did, I did, I had rental income there for quite
0: some time, well for most of the time. Uh, I ended up letting the tenants go a little bit too early in the end because it took that long to get the house, get the DA through. Um, I, I was expecting a little bit too quick, so you know, I had about six months of uh, the house being empty without income coming in, didn't hurt me too much, but it was just would have been nice to have had that income for that little bit longer.
1: Following the successful sale of his project, Vidal briefly re-entered the corporate realm, engaging in substantial road contract projects. But
0: then when I finished that, I went back into the corporate world and just kept working. Went, spent some time in Yamba um, and went down there and uh, lived there for two years while I was working on the, we'll Google a Ballinor upgrade and doing contracts procurement there. Oh, nice. Yeah, some of the major contracts for road sealing and road
1: paving. And what was the reason for jumping back into corporate at that point? Was it?
0: Look, it was probably more, probably more relationship, you uh, know, personal relationship with my wife, which it was more comfortable for her for me to be in a role, earning an income like that, than for me to be in business where where in property development the money is so hard, it's the cash flow is terrible yes we. and you're trying to bring cash into to keep things going it's not not an easy task so
1: no it's always big chunks you know and sometimes it might come in but more than likely nine times out of ten it's always going to be delayed <laughs> absolutely yeah so we kind of as developers expect that all the time
0: <laughs> it's a real juggling real juggling uh, act in, in in development so and she would have liked me to stay in that and in the end i couldn't do it anymore i I I'd, um, I I'd come back from from Yamba back to Brisbane. Uh, spent nine months with uh, Hastings Deering doing procurement there, with with Hastings Deering in their cat equipment. Um, great organisation to work for, beautiful people there. Um, and um, but I just didn't have a heart. I didn't have my heart was wasn't in it anymore. I needed to get out and work for myself. And in the end, I just said, look, I've got to do it. I was out of work for a bit because I was made redundant um, in between between times and trying to find work as a, a guy in his 50s was not an easy task. So it was a, it was like, it convinced me that I needed to go back and I needed to go out and work for myself.
1: Yeah. Make my own way in the world. Yeah. Vidal's venture into property development took a significant turn when he became part of Rob Flux's property developer network, ultimately guiding him from a scattered learning approach to a focused and successful strategy.
0: Well, I joined um, Rob Flux's property developer network. I did a few more before him. I did um, Mark Rolton's Conclave. I've done a uh, so I've done some study. I, I bought. Um, I bought some manuals from other, from other educators out there um, and just kept teaching, learning, and learning as much as I could about property development. Yes. In the end, I, I, I'd done Mark Rowland's Conclave, got home that weekend and thought, great, it was a great course, it was great, but something missing out of it for me, uh, I needed more, um, and I needed someone who could actually be, be have my back as I'm going through the process. Uh, and so I joined Rob Flux's group uh, and he got me really focused. I was I suppose what I was, I was a little bit too too scattergun approach before Rob. and I was looking at subdivisions and I was looking at townhouse sites and, and, and I wasn't really settling down on anything. so I wasn't achieving anything. I wasn't getting any, any I wasn't winning any projects or, or securing any projects, any sites, I should say um Rob got me focused he he narrowed me right down and I focused on just one specific strategy um still on subdivisions, but just one into twos, one into threes and that's all I focused on. and then I got my I've picked up my first project and then my second and then my third, then my fourth and then my fifth and and you know and it just kept on snowballing from there.
1: It's amazing what focus does, isn't it? <laughs> it was just getting get in your mind. And when you have a scattergun approach, it's so hard to secure anything. When you said scattergun, what, what do you mean? Like were you applying for different types of deals all the time?
0: Exactly. Yeah. It was like a, a deal would come my way. i would be going, oh, that looks interesting. I'll try and I'll do a feasibility on that. Then I, a deal on another style of development would come or another strategy of development. And I would look at that and I think, oh, I'll try that. And I'll do a feasibility on that. But I I could never make any of them work. I could never and I could never find the right price to, to, to secure these projects. One of the things I've learned too in this pro whole process, you, you turn over so many sites before you find one that works.
1: Yeah, very true.
0: One that works for me won't work for other developer. One that works for another developer won't, you know, doesn't work for me and, and so on. So two developers will have two different mindsets and two different views on how to look at a a site, and they'll see it differently. Um, And you just just turn them over. I turn them over quickly. It's really important that you look at it and find reasons not to do it. Um, And if you can't find any reasons not to do it, then you, you take it to the next level.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. And I think that's that's the – it's like filtering. Like if you don't filter anything, especially on the internet nowadays, if you don't filter anything, you end up just getting bombarded with all this information and you become overwhelmed, scattered and then you go – what am i doing <laughs> and, then, and then you just don't do anything then you procrastinate and then you go oh gosh this is too hard then you throw it in the overwhelm creeps
0: in and all this and so beginning getting that focus was so important and and so um beneficial for me that really really it dragged me right back to something small and then i now i just i can pick a site i can look at pretty much any site and and be confident in, in going down the path and, and if it works, if the numbers work, great. I'll put the offer in if it doesn't work, my offer doesn't go in. I don't even I don't even put an offer in if I don't think it's gonna work
1: after concluding his corporate career, Fidal plunged himself back into the property realm, taking on a challenging Camp Hill subdivision project fraught with obstacles and hurdles.
0: That was um, nerve wracking. Um, you know, when when I when I got the when the uh, sellers came back and said yes, we'll you know we accept your price and, and I went oh shit now what?
1: <laughs> it means it's real now.
0: <laughs> it was a splitter in in Camp Hill, and then another another Camp Hill project. You must love that suburb, somehow. <laughs> it's been good for me. Um, and then you know I had to pull the house down and go through all that whole process, um, and then sell the land, and then COVID hit and uh, sales dropped, a uh, fellow fell through. Um, we ended up selling one, one of the lots at our uh, FISO price, but the other one we sold it for about 60000 less. So that reduced our profitability down so much. Um, so, and unfortunately with the agreement with my uh, with my joint venture partner, because of the agreement structure, I took the hit on that. So my income out of that was really small, um, 23000 out of my first project which hurt, but but my second project made up for it.
1: Tell us about the second one.
0: The second one was that the one in Barden where we had a very steep block of land. I had to put the, the stormwater line in for the, for the, the, the land up above, um, and I had to dig that out by hand. I had a tree stump, halfway up, they had this tree stump there that that was, if I had taken the tree stump out, it would have taken half the neighbor's backyard out as well. So I had to cut it on the boundary line, and with a chainsaw. And I was up there for three days cutting, cutting the, the tree stump uh, with a chainsaw. Lucky workplace health and safety weren't there because that would have been a would not have been a good sight. But I managed to do it, um, and and I and finally we got the tree stump out of the way, and then I dug the rest by hand.
1: Holy moly! How big was this tree stump? Because now I'm trying to understand. Three days is a lot of work. It was
0: probably 1,200 millimeters high out of the ground, and then I had to get right down in and around it. Uh, but then it was like about 800 millimeters um, in diameter. That's huge. So it was a big tree. Um, most of it had been cut away by, by the arborist um, so I could put the drain out there. Um, but I still had to get that, half that stump out,
1: uh,
0: and I had to cut it along the boundary. Um, and I went through 12, 12 chainsaw blades. Try, trying to get through it all.
1: I would have imagined, <laughs> and you couldn't even get any machinery in there besides the chainsaw.
0: Could not. The, the biggest machine I could get in was an eight tonner, and the eight tonner could only just touch the uh, the the tree stump. So I couldn't even if it, if it pulled it out, it, it it would have pulled out the whole thing and, and half the neighbor's block backyard, which would not have been a good thing.
1: I'm always just trying to picture how it looks like. I had planks. Around it
0: um, to, to 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 stand on, but no 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 handrails, no scaffolding. Look, it was it was like get in, get it done, make it happen.
1: Vidal delves into the formidable challenges he encountered during his second project and the determination he summoned to overcome them.
0: We had some some um, frightening bits in this one. I was I'd, I'd already invested forty thousand dollars of my own money in this one, um, and then and then only to be told. That we went through plan, uh, risk smart and got knocked back in risk smart because of, there was water there was overland flow on the road um and then i found out that the overland flow was 800 millimeters deep and i went oh my god how am i going to make this work uh and i started having little, little heart attacks little mini heart attacks
1: oh, palpitations
0: <laughs> i went and had a chat to a couple of different town planners we we I talked about it and we we realized that it was it was code accessible um, went through the went, resubmitted it through the process and within a month it was passed it was the DA was approved that worked out well then yeah because there were already houses upstream from this that were up up the road that were would have gone through the same and they and, and they were all, all all approved and so on so so the the block itself was dry it was just the road that had the overland flow on it
1: After the break, we'll delve further into Phil Fidel's thrilling property journey exploring a unique agreement he forged to acquire a property.
0: When I met the owners, they, um, they wanted a million dollars for it. My, my budget was 900,000 to, to purchase and they wanted a million.
1: He unveils a startling incident when a builder attempted to charge him an exorbitant sum for a project.
0: He had 30% markup because he didn't know whether the prices would stay the same or not or And you know what? I don't want to pay that 30%. That's that's just ridiculous.
1: He imparts valuable insights he has learned along his property journey.
0: Every hurdle that comes up, there's a solution to every problem that comes along.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. shares a memorable story of his pursuit of a property beyond his budget and the unconventional agreement he forged with the property owners to make the purchase. There
0: was an existing house there that that I needed to renovate a little bit, paint it up, make it look tidy, it all, make it look really nice. But the deal was interesting. When I met the owners, they um, they wanted a million dollars for it. My my budget was nine hundred thousand to to purchase, and they wanted a million. And I said, so I said, look, I'm. I'll go away and I'll come back and talk about it. I'll see what the strategy. I came back and I said to them, "Look, I could get you your million dollars, but you need to stay in the deal all the way till till the very end when I sell the properties. And the sale process is where you'll get your money. Um, and we, they said, they, you know we talked a bit about it. And they, wanted them, the, for them, the important thing was the million dollars, the million dollar mark."
1: They didn't care how long then
0: <laughs> they didn't care how long or what it was going to take they just they wanted that million dollars that was their that was their thing so we we agreed on that and we like they, they agreed on yeah okay we'll stay in the deal so i started putting some contracts together um, tried an reiq contract with some special conditions that was too too difficult to get their head around so we my solicitor and myself we put together an option agreement
1: oh okay
0: and the option agreement um uh, we talked a bit about how the land would how it will sell, et cetera, and, and what the price points would be. Um and then they came back to me and said, But what if you get more than what you think they're worth? You know, what if you what if you sell for more? And I said, Well, I thought, oh, here we go now. Well, how am I going to deal with this? Um uh, so I agreed, I said, look, all right, so if I th- this is the price point that I think I can sell each property for. If I get more than that, we'll split the extra 50-50.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: Yeah, so we we agreed to split the extra fifty fifty, um, and and we did. I got a lot more. I got an extra eighty seven thousand dollars more than what I thought I would for the project. So I made two hundred. I was wrapped. I after all my costs, I'd made because I paid for all of the, the development costs. They didn't pay for anything. I paid. I paid for all the DAs and I had to borrow. I borrowed money at forty percent interest on that project. <laughs>
1: You should have be been talking to you should have been talking to me. I would have got you much less of that.
0: <laughs> one of the loans was forty percent. The other one was twenty percent. Uh, I liked the twenty percent loan. That was much better.
1: Yes, yes.
0: It was unsecured funds, uh, and they were they were just on the strength of me delivering a project and making it work. So it was it was you know these those it's the, high risk money that sort of thing, and it wasn't a great deal. It was like one hundred and twenty grand that I borrowed. I paid all that back with the interest, which was great. And in the scheme of things, it wasn't a lot because it was like five or $10,000 for one of them and uh, $15,000 for the other one. So it wasn't big money. Um, and, and then I um, yeah I sold it and I made 220000 profit out of it. Fantastic. Which is great. It was, it was it's a great project and more than what I expected. I expected to make about $100,000 100, out of it and made a lot more. So I was pretty happy with that. That's great. How long was that project for? That went for about six months. That's pretty fast. <laughs> the one thing that really hit me in the end, or got me in the end, was the um, was the plant ceiling. That took a lot longer than I expected. Right, that took eight weeks, and that that the the sellers were really stressed out about it. I was stressed out about it. The council, I couldn't run, I couldn't hurry the council along. Uh, I tried to. I got my solicitor to write to them and see if they could hurry if we could help and make things go quicker big mistake on my part, never do that again.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, they end up uh, ignoring it and just making things longer. So,
0: <laughs> so I just pulled my head in and, and let the process take its, take its course.
1: Vidal proudly reflects on his remarkable track record at PV Properties, recounting the six profitable projects he has successfully completed including million-dollar triumphs and strategic makeovers.
0: Um, successfully completed uh, six projects, just yeah, six projects. Um, two in Barden, um, uh, two, the two in, in Camp Hill, one in Wynnum, uh, Cannon Hill, and one in Rochdale South. Um, yeah, so there, and we, you know, profitability on, on one of the other Barden ones was over a million dollars. One in Rochdale South was over a million. Um, the one in Cannon Hill was 300,000. Um so they were they were really profitable projects. They're s- selling at the right time in the market. Um now we've got uh the, the splitter in in uh, Brighton on Flinders Parade on, on the water. Um that's a, a one in Coopero, which is a um subdivision and a high end home and a renovation of the existing home. Um we've got a subdivision in Waterford West uh 17 lots which is in for da at the moment
1: wow that's big
0: i've got a six lots in cornubia but i'm holding that at the moment i'm turning that one into a childcare center so that's that that'll be that's a really good one and then we have got another project we're doing due diligence on at the moment which is up in kenmore hills for a further 16 lots uh but we're looking at that one and to turn that one into townhouses instead so I think that would be more favorable with council.
1: Despite the challenges Vidal has already shared, he emphasizes that the most challenging moment he encountered in his property development journey was one that occurred in the past year.
0: I think the the, the hardest one or the, the most challenging one has been the last 12 months with the high inflation and construction costs. Oh, okay. Tell me about that. I mean, I knew there was construction cost rises coming and I was monitoring all of that. But what I... The, the build prices that were coming back were just astronomical for what we were looking at, way like almost double what what I was what I'd previously built, um, and I, for the same sort of product, and they were coming in incredibly high. So we've had to do a lot of work and delay the projects. So the delaying the projects has cost us money in, in interest, holding costs. So that's that's been expensive. Um, and, and it's you know, we've had to and refinance as well. So the the main lender, the senior debt, they wanted they decided that, that after 12 months they wanted out. And fair enough. So I had to refinance those as well. So that's costly. Uh, uh, those sorts of things have been probably the it's been the toughest year because of high inflation, the market turning, um, and making sure that the projects stay profitable. That's That's the key is, is, is that you keep working them and keep working them until uh, until such time as you bring them back on on track and and they remain profitable.
1: Vidal shed light on a valuable lesson he learned from this challenge, underscoring the significance of selecting the right builder to collaborate with.
0: You know the interesting thing i found is that builders are so unsophisticated here in in brisbane in the main there are a couple we found one that to are really good um but they they don't they don't have a handle on their pricing they don't they they just they get a price from a from a supplier and just pass it on and they don't check it they don't they don't assess it for its for 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 a sensibility or not um but they just pass it on and then and that the prices just go through the roof based on that so we've been lucky we've found a builder uh, for our brighton properties that has a real good grasp of his suppliers and great relationships with them and he knows how to get the right price out of them so that's brought the prices for the build right back to where we needed to still be so to make the project profitable
1: and that's what you need. You've got to work with someone who has the experience, has the knowledge and also is willing to do it because otherwise you lose business or so they probably don't care because don't, a lot of the builders probably don't care because there's other people who need to get the things done. Yeah,
0: and and look, and look, one, one builder we had, he had 30% markup. Wow. We, we found that out by interrogating him and understanding and he had 30% markup because he didn't know whether the prices would stay the same or not or and you know what I, I don't want to pay that 30 percent. that's it's ridiculous it's you know, that should be that's my risk
1: not his exactly and then you don't know you know until you sell the the things whether or not you're still going at that margin so you're taking a lot of the risk as well too
0: yeah exactly so it's, it's it's my income at risk i mean this is my business so i need to make sure that i need to i need to manage my my lenders all my lenders my jv partners um I need to manage their risk and I need to manage my risk because they all get paid first. I'm the last person to get paid, uh, so I want to make sure that there's something left for me too.
1: Fidel uncovers his most profound aha moment from his journey, a revelation that has transformed his perspective and fueled his determination to achieve even greater success. It's
0: just how much you can actually achieve the, um, when you when you don't don't believe you can, or maybe the the the, the you know the, the Everything's stacked up against you, but you just keep going. And and it's that the aha if I can is just, just don't stop. Never stop. Every hurdle that comes up, there's a solution to every problem that comes along. Um I may it may not sound like an aha moment, uh, but it's it's probably the biggest thing that I've that I've come through in, in my whole life, I've just you just keep
1: going even with the biggest challenges. I, I, I totally agree with you. That's so important because sometimes if you just give up, that, that really does mean that you give up but if you keep going, you'll find a way. You'll find a way. There's, there's a solution to every single problem out there. Vidal reflects on the impact of meticulously studying property development manuals and integrating valuable lessons from his experience working in larger engineering companies on his property journey.
0: Then Matt Jones, I bought his um, manuals, property development manuals. To- Back in 2017, I bought his manuals. Um, I've re- re- reviewed a lot. I've done. I've just researched a lot over the years, and just read everything I could about property development to learn as much as
1: I can about it. And then from there, you've taken a lot of the knowledge and just applied it.
0: When I worked in these big um, engineering uh, global companies, a lot of the the learnings from those organisations too. It's like. Um, one of the great mantras I found, I felt was a great mantra from Sinclair Nightmares was slow and steady wealth creation. Don't rush it. Just manage. Make sure you, you do what you can manage. You only do what you can manage. And you slow and steady wealth creation. That's sustainable. That means that you can build, build wealth and create a solid foundation going forward.
1: Fidel shares the advice he believes would have been most beneficial for his younger self a decade ago, emphasizing the importance of perseverance and belief in one's ability to achieve success.
0: Just keep going, keep going with your plan because you'll you'll get there. Just because I've always been um, certain, you know, when when I've achieved something. I know ten years ago, once I got to a, a new role, I thought, all right, what's my next, what's my next journey? I didn't, I didn't just sit there uh, and and sit in that new role or that new job and enjoy it. I thought, right, well, what's my next one that can I that I can achieve? So I've always been, um, and and but back then I probably worried a bit whether I would achieve a lot of the things that I ended up achieving, and so I'd say to myself, just keep going, you'll do it, you'll get there.
1: Fidal shares his enthusiasm for the upcoming milestones in his property development journey and the ambitious goals he aims to accomplish.
0: You know, my sons in the business. I want the business to grow further. Um, I'm looking for a partner to come into the business um, to help help with the growth of the because we're ready. We're prime for 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 more growth. Um, and um, you know, I can see big things for us. And eventually, our target is to is to grow the business to $200 100 million in GRV. Um, and that's, that's primarily so that I can then pull back and, and semi-retire. I don't think I'll ever fully retire. I'll be around to annoy my son for a long time. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I just want to have a business that, that's sustainable um, and, and, and for the long term um, and something that my son can carry on and it's a, a legacy um, for him and, and for my family.
1: How much of your success do you think has been because of the skill, hard work, intelligence, and how much do you think you would have been because of luck? I think there's a mixture of everything in it. I think you put yourself out there; luck, luck comes
0: your way. But if you work hard and you just keep going, you, you know, you do make your own luck. Yeah, you really do make it, make it yourself by by putting it and just going for it and not stopping. Um, yeah so and i think a lot of it just determination just sheer determination to keep going in in the face of of people or or events or circumstances uh putting walls up all the time and just and just just going around that wall or over it or under it or whatever it needs to needs to be
1: Thank you to Phil Fidel, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.